We have been talking about awkward family photos for the last several weeks from the Gospel of John, leading up to chapter 21 of that Gospel, where we're going to watch as Jesus corners Peter and see what happens in that moment when Jesus, the risen Christ, gets Peter's attention and has a conversation with him. So that's where we're headed. The resurrection, it goes against logic today just like it did 2,000 years ago. The idea that a man would come out of the grave, it just seems absurd. And yet, what somebody called a ragtag group of nobodies from Galilee turned the world upside down. And by 314 A.D., Constantine saw the way the wind was blowing that Christianity was taking the empire by storm and so declared it the official religion and lifted all persecution of Christians. How could it be? When you go back to the Gospels and look up the word resurrection, the word they usually used when they talked about the resurrection theologically was anastasis. And so they would say, do you believe in the anastasis? And the Pharisees believed in the Anastasis, and the Sadducees didn't believe in the Anastasis. So sometimes this resurrection of the just to new life at the end of the age would become a great source of debate. And if the Apostle Paul wanted to cause a firestorm in Jerusalem, all he had to do was stand up and say, I am called today in question about the Anastasis. And everybody was in turmoil when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' grave. Martha said in John 11, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that he will rise again in the Anastasis in the last days. And Jesus said to her, I am the Anastasis. I am the Anastasis. Now, nobody quite got it. And they didn't use the word Anastasis in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, to describe what happened on resurrection morning. They used a Another word that's about rousing and resurgence and rising up. They didn't know exactly how to describe it, but in Acts chapter 1, Peter, looking back on all that has happened, said, now we need somebody to take Judas's place who is a witness of the Anastasis. The Anastasis was supposed to be at the end of the age. But somehow it happened in the middle. 
It happened in time. It happened in history. The kingdom came in Jesus of Nazareth who rose from the dead. Something nobody anticipated. Nobody thought. And so they left there to preach that Jesus had died and been buried and the anastasis has happened. Jesus rose from the dead. And it caught on somehow in all the places where the message was carried and those eyewitnesses of the risen Christ like Peter. When they preached it, those who had not seen the risen Christ believed. And just as Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so those who have not seen like us, who were not witnesses to the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, we believed and faith in Christ spread all over the globe. And there's a great joy in it, you know. There's a joy in it because so often we are held in bondage by the fear of death, as the book of Hebrews says. We're just afraid about dying, about our loved ones dying, and the specter of death enslaves us. And the resurrection of Jesus when brought into full faith in your heart, liberates you from the fear of death. Like Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead, tradition says that after that, when unbelievers confronted Lazarus and threatened to kill him, Lazarus just smiled because he knew the one who had victory over death. That's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the wonderful truth that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again according to the Scriptures. Now, what Jesus is going to do in the passage I'm about to read is he's going to show Peter what that means to him right now. Let's read it. John 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, 
feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Three simple things to call your attention to on this beautiful resurrection day. Has there ever been a brighter, more beautiful day to celebrate the resurrection than this? It is glorious, is it not? Three simple things. The personal address. That's the first one. The repeated question. That's the second one. The appropriate response. That's the third one. See, Jesus gave a new name to Simon. He said, from now on, we're going to call you Peter. And in this chapter alone, he's called Peter nine times, but not a single time by Jesus. Every time, Jesus calls him Simon. In fact, he calls him Simon, son of John. Now, Jesus has demonstrated an incredible supernatural knowledge of all the people that he's run into, whether it was Nicodemus or the woman at the well, whoever it was, John says in summary in his gospel that nobody had to give testimony about what was in people because Jesus already knew what was in them. And he knows Peter backward and forward. And when Peter bragged at the Last Supper, I will lay down my life for you, using the very verb that Jesus used to describe how he would lay down his life for them and pick it up again. Using that very word, I'll lay down. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter denied the Lord and in shame left that courtyard weeping bitterly. And Jesus is using the name Peter had from his birth, the name he had before he met Jesus, to talk to him on this particular morning. He wants Peter to know, hey, I know your lineage. I know your pedigree. I know the family that you're from. I know your mom and your dad. I know your brothers and your sisters. I know how you grew up and where you grew up. I know all the things that seem to hold you back and take you down. I know it all, Simon, son of John. I know about you. Now, Peter, so boastful about his ability to stand up for Jesus, had encountered a girl at the door in the courtyard where Jesus was tried. 
And the girl said, well, you're one of them. And he said, I am not. And then he encountered an unidentified person in the courtyard who said, you were with him. And Peter said, I don't know him. And then John records that a relative of Malchus, the guy that got his ear cut off in the Olive Garden, he, he confronted Peter in the courtyard and he recognized him from the olive grove and he said you were with him in the grove were you not and Peter denied it and ran out what Jesus does now is he starts a fire it's a charcoal fire only twice this word is used in the New Testament he starts a charcoal fire on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, just like the charcoal fire that burned in Pilate's courtyard when Peter denied his Lord. He gets Peter under the chin, lifts his eyes up, and asks him the questions three times. This thrice-repeated question, do you love me? I wonder about the question. The personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus, yes. Not only of Peter, but also of you. Knowing your story and all you've been through and every nuance of your circumstances today having a thorough knowledge of who you are. Jesus calls your name as he did Simon Peter. Knowing your family, your history, your parentage, understanding it all, he still calls you. And you would think the question would be, Peter, do you believe it's me? Do you believe in my resurrection? That's what you would suppose because the disciples, even after the resurrection, were struggling with what it was about. And one of the last recorded things is the Lord appeared to the disciples and some believed, but some doubted. Even seed him, even Thomas putting his finger in the wounds in his side, still they struggled with the idea that a man could come back from the dead. And so you think the question is, Simon, son of John, do you believe? But he's going deeper than that. He wants to know, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Something about that question stirs the heart, doesn't it? Belief has a kind of intellectual feel to it, but love, love is definitely just from the heart. Jesus always draws us back to the heart in all of his teaching. It's not just about murder. It's about hate. It's not just about adultery. It's about lust. It's not just about what's on the outside. It's about what goes on on the inside. So, Peter... Do you love me? 
The first command is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I was a teenager when John Lennon died. This quote of his was not published till six days after he died by the Philadelphia Inquirer, which quoted John Lennon as saying, I really thought that love would save us all. I don't know why, but as a teenager, that hit me so hard that this man would say that as if he discovered it to be untrue. Love. Do you love me? It's the greatest of these, Paul says. The greatest of these is love. Now abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It's Peter who says love covers a multitude of sins. There's something about love that is a response to the resurrection, to the resurrected Lord. It is an appropriate response. It is a deeper response. It is the response the Lord is looking for. What he discovered in Simon Peter and the other disciples is that they just didn't say, okay, so we get Anastasis now and went on with life as normal. If you'd been at the feast in Jerusalem that year, you probably would have heard about the man that they crucified on the cross and somebody said he'd risen from the dead and then you'd gone on to your meal and joined with the festival and had the family around, sang the songs and went on with life as usual. And people do that. They hear that Jesus is risen from the dead. And they say, oh, well, hmm, that's a good thing. And they go on with life as usual. Peter went fishing after he'd known that the tomb was empty and Jesus was gone. He said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to the man I used to be. That's how it sounds to me. It sounds to me like Peter has so failed the Lord, so embarrassed and humiliated by his moral failure that he just doesn't believe he can do it. He can't follow Jesus. He can't be a Christian. It's just not in him. And so the only person he knows to be is the person he used to be. And so that's where he goes, back to the old tapes, played again in his head. The old buddies, the old lifestyle, the old values and priorities. He just goes back to fishing. So many people do that. They have an encounter with Jesus that seems to be life transforming, and then, and then something happens. Not in the little country town, but in the big city, Jerusalem. Not in the little rural setting surrounded by his friends but in that strange urban setting surrounded by strangers. Not in the place familiar to him, but in the place unfamiliar to him. Not in a time of hope and peace, but in a time of crisis. Peter breaks. 
as do so many who come from the country to the city and from friends to strangers and from a life that they know to a life that is foreign to them. Moving from a family where they feel secure to a time of difficulty and crisis in their life. And something breaks inside. And they no longer feel worthy of the life they once intended to embrace. And you know, the Lord doesn't want to ask you. Now, can you argue successfully for the resurrection before atheists and agnostics? Do you have all the facts down? Can you put forward the historical evidence for the resurrection? Can you successfully debate this and win the argument in your office? No. The Lord wants to know this. Do you love me? Do you love me? Hey, the other's good. But the question is, do you love me? Now, Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus presses it the second time and the third because he is playing out Peter's denial in the courtyard that drove him back into the darkness. And so he says it three times, and Peter is hurt at the end. He's troubled and distressed. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So the call on this Easter is this. God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of a new creation. God is in the business of forgiveness and transformation. God loves to change people from the inside out, give them a new heart, a new family, and a new home in heaven. He loves to do that. And the question is, do you love him? Do you love him? Is there an affection for you, for the one who made you, and sent his son to die on your behalf. Simon, son of John, do you love me? If we say, yes, I love the Lord, it feels a little hard to measure, all right? It's like, okay, how can I tell whether I love the Lord and how can he tell whether I love him. And so we go to the third moment, this third movement, which is feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take care of my flock. Now get this, okay? Hey, if you trust in Jesus, he's risen from the dead. You have heaven as your home, so you're going to be on streets of gold one day and all of your needs will be met and there'll be no sorrow, sickness, or death anymore. That is wonderful to celebrate. But if you embrace the Christ who has died and risen from the dead, and if you love him, then he has a task for you in the here and now, just as he had for Peter. 
Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated 50 years ago Wednesday. I won't forget that day either. I was 15 years old when he was killed. Martin Luther King said, It's good to say that the streets are going to run with milk and honey when we get to heaven. But God's concerned about the hungry and the homeless right here today. And we need to do something about that. Yes, thinking about his funeral, Martin Luther King Jr. said, Don't mention the Nobel Peace Prize. It's not important. Instead, I hope somebody will say he tried to live his life as a service to those around him. You know what? That's what Jesus is saying to Simon Peter. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Okay, Lord, I get it. If I love you, I will do what you have called me to do. I'll be the servant you called me to be. I'll be busy at work in your world. And so this is the thing. With the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom has come. We are now, as the apostles announced, in the last days. Though they've lasted for 2,000 years now, it is the last era of humanity's time on earth. Here is the age of grace where Jesus saves. And what shall we do as people who love him and believe in the resurrection and follow him with all our heart? We do what he has called us to do and gifted us to do and empowers us to do every day. We take care of the people that he loves. That's the job. In other words, if you believe in the resurrection... And you've been confronted by the living Christ. And you've given your life to him as those baptismal candidates confessed. Then now you have an assignment in the world that gets you up every morning. Gets you going every day. Fills your life with passion. You have a purpose on the planet. You have something to do in the here and now. It's not just what God will do for you in the sweet by and by, but it's the here and now. Peter, feed my sheep. Now, Peter might have said, oh, Lord, you don't know how miserable I feel, how miserable I've been. I can't feed your sheep. That's a standard human response. I'll bet you've done it yourself. I'll bet you've had that same response when you felt the tug of God upon your heart concerning your gifts and your service to the Lord and the change you could make in the life that you're living among the people whom God loves. I'll bet you there's been times in your life and you said, I just can't do it. I'm not worthy. Dead on. Right. You're not. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're a sinner. You're full of holes. You're stained. You're troubled. You haven't got it all together. Sometimes you feel like a mess. And sometimes you wonder if you're getting anything right in any part of your life. It's okay. It's okay. 
God's got you where he wants you. Knowing your inadequacies. Knowing the difficulties. Knowing the mess that you are. God sends his call and says to you, do you love me? Take care of my lambs. You don't have to be worthy. He alone is worthy. Amen. He is all glorious, all wonderful. <laughs> King of kings, Lord of lords, the resurrection is God's declaration and affirmation that Jesus of Nazareth is Son of God, Son of Man, Savior of the world. The resurrection declares Him to be with power. God's power flowing through him. The resurrection is God's affirmation. This is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, thank you, Lord. And now he calls us to a task. And you say, I don't know how to do this to take care of the lambs. Well, you read the story of the Good Samaritan, all right? Read about a guy who's beat up and bruised and broken. And how somebody stoops to care for him. And Jesus said, go thou and do likewise. You see, what I'm preaching to you and teaching to you is the very middle, very heart of the teaching of Jesus. It's in the story of the Samaritan woman who went out to tell others. It's in the story of Nicodemus who needed to know. Life transformation happens when you take seriously what God has done for you in Christ. And so he calls you, and he knows your name. And if you've been walking around with your head down and your shoulders slumped because you think you failed and you're broken beyond restoration, I've got news for you. God loves to forgive and heal the broken places of your life and bring you out of the place where you're stuck and put you on new solid ground. He loves to do this, and he will do it for you. And he knows your name. So the question is, Will you say yes, Lord, this Easter Sunday? Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, it's hard to get our arms around and our head around the resurrection and all that it means that Jesus came out of that tomb alive, never to die again. God, it's, it's more than we can fathom. And yet, Lord, you put a power there that not only raises Jesus from the dead, but raises us too. And so I pray for the one who's broken and trapped, hurting and desperate, that today, Resurrection Day, might be the beginning of a new walk, a new restoration. Lord, a new day. Because you invade the heart and head and make all things new. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.